I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the state of India and specifically at the much-heralded reform programs of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. The past week's been one of mixed signals. On the plus side, the government's announced reforms to make foreign investment easier But India watchers have also been shocked by the resignation of the much-respected head of the central bank, Raghuram Rajan. Joining me to discuss all this are on the line from Delhi, our bureau chief, Amy Kasman, and on the line from Singapore, our former Mumbai correspondent, James Crabtree. Amy, first of all, how shocked were people by the resignation of Rajan? People were really shocked. I was actually at a social gathering when people's mobile phones started beeping and with the news, and somebody told me, I'm feeling sick to my stomach (laughs) at the news. So people really were taken aback. I think although there had been some warning signs that all was not well and that the government had a doubt about extending him when his three-year term was going to end in September, many people, his supporters, were hoping against hope that the differences between the two sides would be smoothed over and given his credibility and his stature and his competence, that he would stay and serve an extension. Although there had been warning signs and people knew that this might be coming, I think the timing of the announcement was quite a surprise. And I think people had still hoped that it would all work out in the end. I know the government was also taken aback by his surprise. I had ministers tell me that they had to cancel trips out of town to kind of handle the fallout out of it. So it really was a big event. So, James, I mean, central bank governors are important people. But why was there so much weight invested in this single guy, Raghuram Rajan? Rajan arrived at the central bank in the end of 2013 at a moment when India's economy was looking very bad indeed. At the moment, India stands out as a rare positive amongst global emerging markets. But two or three years ago, it was arguably the weakest of the so-called fragile five economies. And Rajan really helped steady that particular ship. The rupee was plummeting. He arrived and, and that coincided with a turn in India's fortune for which he has claimed a lot of credit. He's very credible with international financial markets. He has done quite a lot to help tame India's long-standing problems with inflation. He's tried to open up India's financial markets, and he's played quite a big role in taking on arguably the biggest financial challenge that India faces, the problems in its banking system, which is badly over-leveraged and has suffered from problems linked to crony capitalism. And then you add to that the fact that Rajan is a very prominent international figure. He became famous a decade ago by warning about the likelihood of an impending financial crisis, which then came to pass, giving him the reputation as a wise seer and sage. But he's also a charming figure who's widely respected internationally, and therefore he attracted a lot of attention from international investors and analysts. And that meant that when some months ago it became clear that there was a discussion going on inside the government as to whether or not he should stay and get the second term that is customarily given to Indian central bank governors, this rather caught international investors by surprise because they thought that it would be madness for India to get rid of a regulator who was so widely respected and who appeared to be doing such a good job. To the point, actually, given the debate in 
the UK over the euro, that instead of Brexit, this became known as Rexit, whether or not Rajan would in fact go. And as Amy said, many people hoped that he would stay rather than, as has happened, that he would decide to leave. Do you think he was in fact pushed? It would be hard to say directly that he was pushed, but it would be fair to say that they surely didn't do anything to hurry and secure his services for the next two years. His term was to end in September, and they were saying that they would make a decision about the future of the RBI in September. Now, he has left U.S. academia, where he was a very well-respected professor at the University of Chicago Business School. I think he wanted some indication from the government earlier that they did indeed want to retain his services, and they were unwilling to give him that Then there was apparently some issue of how long additionally he would stay and some suggestion that he wasn't necessarily interested in staying so long. It's also important to say that in the months before this decision, Mr. Rajan had been under a sustained attack and a very nasty and vicious attack from a very prominent member of Mr. Modi's ruling party. Subramanian Swamy is a member of the BJP, and he was recently elevated to the upper house of parliament just two months ago. And from this platform, he began to publicly attack Mr. Rajan, not just both criticizing his economic policy, but on very nasty personal terms. In general, the climate started to be really unpleasant, and I think he just decided that it was time to go. James, I mean, from the viewpoint of investors, I guess, and business people, the big question is, well, beyond the personalities, does this herald a change in policy, and will India become less reliable in terms of public policy? Yeah, I think that's a good question. The problem for the RBI and the reason why Rajan took on such significance was that the RBI, although it is a fairly well-respected central bank, does require a governor who has the confidence of the markets to really hold clout. It's not so strong that institutionally people don't have doubts about it in the wrong hands. And I think, as Amy said, the problem that Rajan faced was that because he was an imaginative and forthright central bank governor, he also annoyed various people. As Amy said, he annoyed some traditionalists close to Mr. Modi's party who were suspicious of what he was doing, but he was also a public intellectual who roamed quite widely in his speeches, talking about issues such as social tolerance, which are not normally talked about by an RBI governor. And perhaps most importantly of all, although it's not clear that this had a direct implication on his leaving, he certainly annoyed various senior bankers and industrialists by attempting to crack down on the fact that the bankers had lent too much money to the industrialists and the industrialists had frittered it all away on aggressive infrastructure projects, leaving the whole banking and corporate system in a bit of a pickle. I suppose, as you say, the question now is whether his successor will change tack on two fronts. Either will they be less hawkish on inflation, given that Rajan was attempting to bring in a UK-style monetary policy committee, and his successor will now have to deliver that vision. And it's by no means clear that that will take hold in the way that it would have done if Rajan was there. But then there's a second question as to whether or not his successor will prove to be as tough on the issue of banking and corporate debt, and in a broader sense, India's traditional problems of corruption and crony capitalism, which is somewhat out with the normal bounds of responsibilities of an RBI governor, but something that Rajan put quite near the centre of his agenda. And I think that's out to question, that there are supposedly five candidates for the job after Rajan. They're all fairly credible people. But given the rather poisonous atmosphere which surrounded Rajan's departure, I think it's quite unlikely that any successor will 
interpret the job quite as broadly or quite as forcefully than he did. And that's unlikely to be something that will give international investors much confidence. But Amy, on the other hand, as I mentioned in the queue, and you've written about it in today's Financial Times, it's not all negative news, because the government has unveiled what it hopes is a package of incentives, particularly for foreign investors. Do you think that they're going to see these as as significant measures or mainly as window dressing? There were three critiques of Rajan, and we're not really sure which of them, or probably it was a combination of all of them that led to essentially the government not showing a great willingness to see him extended and him deciding that he would better pack his bags and return to Chicago. And the three things were the criticism that he was too tight on monetary policy with a too hawkish eye on inflation that he was too aggressive in pushing the bank cleanup, which was a threat to the crony capitalists and also made the state bankers uncomfortable. And this third issue that James mentioned, that he made comments that some people considered off his brief, where he was commenting more widely on the state of Indian society and Indian political life. I think the issue of policy continuity, to a certain extent, the answer will lie in which of these were the deciding factor and which of these were the things that upset the government the most. I've had government officials try to insist to me that there will be policy continuity and that the bank cleanup is something that the government itself is very committed to. The government has been pushing this from its end. Senior government officials are trying to insist that this wasn't even Rajan's policy, it was the government's policy. Certainly they were working on it together. So I think there is the question of will the new successor have as much appetite for this? But to a certain extent, the direction will depend on which of these factors was really the biggest determinant. But the government has been very eager to emphasize that there will be policy continuity and policies will continue. And to that extent, that's why I think they went on Monday to announce these liberalizing moves of FDI Most of them have to do with cutting red tape and making it easier for foreign investors. But of course, they put a huge rhetorical spin around it as these dramatic reforms. I don't think they're quite as dramatic as they were spun out to be. I do think that they are positive. It's clear that the government is trying to send out a signal that they still care about foreign markets. They still care about investment sentiment. They want foreign investment and that the liberalizing trends will continue. Just to round off then, James, I mean, you're now some distance away from India, having lived there for some years. If you want to just look back and give us some general view, there was a lot of excitement when Modi came in. So far, has it been justified? Is the hype around India now fading? I think the hype around India is relative, so long as India remains the world's fastest growing major economy and its growth rate exceeds China and all of the other bricks. Um, I think hype around India will continue. But the problem is one fundamentally of institutions, that the weakness that India has is that many of the institutions that you would look to underpin uh, a long-term growth rate comes close to double digits are pretty weak. And that's why figures like Rajan become so important, that when India has credible reform-minded leadership, it appears as if the country can really pull its socks up and follow the same kind of path that China and other Asian emerging markets have taken. But either if those figures leave, as Rajan did, or if they go slightly off the boil, as Modi appears to have done, in part because He's managing both the expectations of international financial investors, but also domestic political constituencies who often want to take things in a rather different direction. Then that excitement can fade quite quickly because India's institutions are weak and sort of prone to misdirection. So I think that's the issue. 
But at the moment, the interesting thing is that even with Rajan's departure, I, I think India will probably, for now, brush this off. And in the short run, the alarm that has been anticipated were he to leave will prove to be a little bit illusory, that they will appoint a relatively sort of safe and sober, slightly narrower central bank chair. And people will wait to see if Modi will find some way of putting a bit more juice behind his reform program. James Crabtree in Singapore, thank you very much. And thanks also very much to Amy Kasman in Delhi. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.